by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, Jesus said that he was going to make us fishers of men, and uh, I thought it would be good to recognize Gary, because Gary's probably the best fisherman in the Passion Church, if you know Gary, you know he goes by the name the Crappie Kid. And uh, I've been fishing with Gary several times, always enjoyed myself. He always out catches me, but he shows me some of his secrets, and I do better when I go by myself because I've been with Gary. Gary knows all the crappie holes. He doesn't go as much as he ought because life has kind of been busy on us all. Have you noticed that? But anyway, he's a great fisherman. One time he said, Brother Guy, let's go night fishing. I didn't know there was such a thing. And uh, I said, well, how are we going to do that? He said, just get in the boat. And so we went down to Sardis, and uh, he had all these lights in the bottom of his boat, and I noticed he was putting car batteries in the back of the boat, and I'm thinking, what is about to take place here? We launched the boat. We went out. It was a Sardis, and we went out just to a deep place in there, and he starts hanging out all these submersible lights around the boat to the point where it was getting so bright I was like man if you don't stop we're gonna have to be shooting away helicopters all night they're gonna be trying to land on us and so he said you want to catch some crappie don't you and I didn't know what he was doing I said I said yeah because he's the crappie kid you know not to be outdone I said you know I'm they call me the brim reaper (laughs) he said yeah sure you know that's about what he said well, he hung out some more lights, and pretty soon he had lights all the way around the boat, and it looked like a Griswold family Christmas, you know. And we got our poles out, and I, we started fishing around the boat, you know, and I guess that was supposed to draw the bait fish up to the top. The bait fish would come up to those lights, and so the crappie would follow the bait fish because that's what they eat, you know. And things settled down, and we started fishing. And it got kind of quiet out there, and I said, Gary, I think it's going to be a quiet night, except for the hum of that nuclear reactor you got back there powering all these lights and he just rolled his eyes you know I waited a minute and I said I sure sure could use some sunblock (laughs) he said won't you just shut up you're gonna scare the fish I said it ain't like they can't see us (laughs) but we was having a good old time we started catching some fish because sure enough they started coming, chasing those bait fish, and our poles started doing this number, and we were wrestling some in the boat, having a good old time. And then we heard, out there in the middle of the lake, we heard this growl. We're like, what? <laughs> Who knows my, my signature move there? But we hear this growl, and guess what it was? I better tell you later. I better get to my message. Turn to Psalms 105. I'll tell you later. Don't worry. I won't forget you. Leave you hanging. What could be out there growling? You don't know. You don't know. A bear. A swimming bear. Psalms 105. It's going to be our text for today. 
Somebody say, God is good. Psalms 105, verse 1. It says, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everybody about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his holy name and rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles, the rulings he has given, you children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, you chosen ones. This concludes today's message. You are dismissed. What, y'all want the extended version? You're probably waiting for me to get to the point because I have noticed in churches these days when you read out of the Psalms, they kind of shut you off. They just, was he saying something? You know, I'm sure he's going to get to the point. Boy, wait a minute. I just got to the point. The Word of God is the point. You're saying, Pastor, what's the punchline? Well, get up here in line, I'll punch you. <laughs> God hides jewels right under our nose. Right out there in the open, and we miss it because we're looking for the, we're searching for the, the deep things of God. Yay, the deep things of God. We're looking for the extravagant. We're lo- we just read over the Psalms like none of that's true or something sometimes. But what I've just read in Psalms 105 are seven of the most obvious things that you could do to live that life of fulfillment that you're looking to live. I read over them, and you, you probably forgot what I said already. But we're going to do the extended version for your, for your sakes today. And we're going to talk about them. Today's message, and if you're following along in your sheet, that's your first question generally, is called the obvious seven. The obvious seven. Because they're so obvious, it's like, you just read over them. It's like God laid them right in front of our eyes. The keys to a fulfilled life. Obvious thing number one, and we're going to go through them, is to what? What's the first two lines of Psalms 105? Give thanks. Give thanks. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, to be thankful in all circumstances. In all circumstances, mind you. <laughs> Some of you say, you don't know what kind of week I have. Well, you might as well be thankful that you made it through. You're here today. Right. Be thankful in all circumstances, good and bad. That's a key right there. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. I remember the story, the true story, where Jesus cleansed ten lepers. He told them to go show themselves to the priest and on the way they were cleansed. But only one of them came back to give glory to God, to give thanks to Jesus. The other nine, I, I, I don't know what they did. But before we go judging them, let me ask you this. How many times have you given thanks to God this week? I bet he's done more than ten things for us today, this week. If we would sit back and think, and maybe we came and gave him thanks one time. I know a lot of times I ask God for stuff, and he doesn't. It would be big stuff. And I'll be celebrating, but I ain't doing a lot of thinking. 
We forget to thank God. We just begin to take him for granted, you know. Luke 17, 17, Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Now there's a difference between being cleansed and whole. Those nine that went away and didn't come back, they were cleansed. The leprosy left their body, but they still might be unwhole. You know, leprosy had a way of taking appendages away from you. Your nose is missing, places eaten up. But the one who came back and gave thanks, it says your faith has made you whole. I think some arms may have grown out for that man or a nose back on his face, ears or whatever. He walked away whole. Would you rather just be cleansed or whole? I think God saves his treasures, his best, for those who are thankful. Amen? One time, my children came back to give me thanks. One time. <laughs> but when they did, it was like my billfold just flew open. I was like, what else can I get you? Right? Because when, as a father, when they, your, somebody comes, your kids come back and they're grateful, you just, it opens up that billfold. You want to do something else. How, how much more should we give thanks to the, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? We should cultivate a, a, just an attitude of thanksgiving all the time. And I wrote this, and it's a question on your sheet. An unthankful heart will never be satisfied. Think about that. If, you, if you're not a thankful person, you think, well, I just get what's coming to me. <laughs> you do. If you're not thankful, your heart is never going to be joyous. You're never going to uh, see life with the glass half full. You are always going to be unfulfilled. You're setting yourself up for a miserable life if you're not a thankful person. But a thankful person. Oh, a thankful person can think their way out of depression. <laughs> I've seen it done. You can think your way out of oppression. You can think your way out of any eschen you can come up with. You think of an eschen that you can't think your way out of. A thankful heart sends the devil into retreat. He don't know what to do. <laughs> Most of the people he deals with ain't thankful about anything. We got a society of people unthankful ungrateful, unholy, thinking they all deserve everything. Spoiled, rotten generation that we live in. Not just the, the one age group, but the whole range of everybody that's living right now, especially in America, unthankful people. But a thankful heart leads you to the obvious thing, number two. The first thing is th be, be thankful. The second thing is to proclaim his gratefulness. I don't know about you, but I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see I was held captive, but the Lord, he set me free. I proclaim it from the rooftops. He saved a wretch like me. Are you listening? That just came to me. I'm telling you, the Lord has set me free. I, woe unto me if I don't shout it out and tell somebody. Express the way what's going on, what God is doing for me. If I don't cry out, the rocks will. In fact, the rocks are already crying out. All creation is crying out around us, and we just ignore it half the time. 
It says in Psalms 19.1 that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Have you been outside recently? Have you ever been outside? Do you go outside at night? Other than swatting mosquitoes, have you looked up into the sky? Put your glasses on so they, they come into focus. And beheld the heavens. And watch as you see meteor showers come through. You see all these happenings that's been going on lately. Blood moons and all this beautiful stuff. Planets coming through. I think it's Mars or something that's in the southern sky that's just beautiful red right now. See what's what the glory of God. All creation is shouting his praise. It says day after day they continue to speak, night after night, to make him known. They're speaking to you. But are we listening? Psalms 97, uh, 98.7 says, Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join in. Let the rivers <laughs> clap their hands in glee. If the rivers can clap their hands, we can clap our hands. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let the hills sing out with songs of joy before the Lord. If all these things can clap and shout the glee of the Lord, then how much more we the object of it, most of his affection, his most prized possession, the one he shows the most attention to, the one who he gives the most grace to, how much more should we be shouting and praising and proclaiming his goodness? Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, 3, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. It's our job to ascribe greatness to our God, to let people know how good he is. Jeremiah said, there's none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. My life should proclaim his greatness. Amen? My life, listen to me, my life, should proclaim God's greatness. We're not a halfway people. We don't just get by, do enough to get the job done and get a check. We're people of excellence to show forth the glory of our God. His greatness should inspire me to greatness. His spirit in me should require me to greatness. He's given you his spirit, his name, his blood, his word, his truth. His life, his very life, he's given us. We have all the tools that we need. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, he has already given us to proclaim the glory of God in this world in which we live. And that leads us to obvious thing number three. To sing to him. Man, when you got it in you, you got to get it out. Now, I know you know Brother Gary's a fisherman, but you also see him up here on the platform, like I said, faithful with his guitar. More than just the crappie kid, he sings to the Lord. Ask him, he'll tell you. On his, in his truck on the way to work, he'll be singing songs. He'll write them down. i tell you what, after the service, somebody go ask Gary to show you a couple of his songs. And I'll come back and pick you up in a couple weeks. 
Gary play, he gets here early before band practice to, to play his songs to the Lord, to whoever will listen. And when we get through, he plays one more. He loves to sing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord is on your sheet is the most effective therapy you've ever tried. Well, that's a bold statement, Pastor. My, psych, my psychiatrist would dare to disagree. But I'm just going to tell you, singing unto the Lord is probably the most effective therapy that you could do. What do you mean? Well, David soothed the soul of, of King Saul when he was being tormented by evil spirits. David sang songs unto the Lord, and it made King Saul feel better. He wasn't even the one doing the singing. And I can imagine David... Probably a song was on his lips when he was running at Goliath. And ripping the lion's jaws apart, killing the bear. He, David sang all the time. It was King David, not Barry Manilow, that wrote all the songs that makes the whole world sing. Ain't that true? How, most of y'all don't remember Barry Manilow. Anyway, he had a song. I write the songs that make the whole world sing. You don't remember that? No, it was King David in the Psalms. That's what Psalms are. They're songs. Did you know that? Uh, when we translate them to English, they don't probably rhyme as well as they do in the Hebrew or whatever they were written in. But nevertheless, they are songs that David and others would sing. And they were to be sung unto the Lord. David wrote Psalm 105, when which we're studying today with the obvious seven. He wrote that. King David sings to the Lord. He wrote Psalms 150, verse 6, where it says, Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. I don't know if anybody in here is not breathing this morning. If so, raise your hand. We'll get you, get you some help right over. You know, we minister at the jail. What an awesome ministry. I think 13 souls gave their heart to Jesus this past Sunday. We'll go again tonight and, and believe with us for a bigger harvest this Sunday. But it's, it's about like that every Sunday. You know, 30, 20, in the teens, you know, people get saved. And uh, I'll bring my guitar in there, and out of all the songs that, that I sing, there's one song that they like the best. It's one song that is probably most requested, and it's one song... Uh, that they sing the loudest. And that's probably not what you think. You see, these people, many of them have come to the end of themselves. <laughs> They're feeling dejected. They're down and out. People that they used to love, they've hurt. They've turned people away with their nasty attitudes. They've done wrong. They've, they're feeling the weight of their guilt and shame. And they're and, and once they get born again, man, they're, they're excited and they're free even though they're behind the bars. But when you come back in there, you got them saved last week, but when you come back, they want to hear this song. Guess what it is? It's not something just lyrically melodic and, and has all, you know, 14 stanzas. They want to do this. I sing praises to your name. Oh, help me sing it. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great. 
and greatly to be praised. Doesn't that make you feel better? Man, don't you just feel the anxiety slipping off of you? Man, them guys in the jail, they don't want to sing something they have to think about. They just want to come from the heart. And that's what you need to do, just sing something to the Lord. At Youth Villages, went there yesterday with uh, the Praise Monsters. Uh, 46 youth, teenagers, gave their heart to Jesus yesterday. Awesome. You know what their favorite song is? When we go there, something simple, no place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. No place that, man, they can, one time we played that song and we let them have the microphone and they took turns singing it. When the, in the girls group, we do two groups. The girls sang that song for, I think, over an hour. We, we, we just let them sing. And uh, they just sang it and sang it and sang the same thing over and over and over. But it's, it's just because the simple things, this, just a simple song unto the Lord is all you need. Paul said in Ephesians 5.19, he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. That means with others too, among yourselves. And making music in your heart to the Lord. Well, how do you make music in your heart to the Lord? Well, maybe you're in your cubicle at work. And you'll get in trouble if you make a noise or something. You're just humming and you whistling and hey, make melody in your heart to the Lord. I'm trying to tell you how to live a victorious life. You're not listening. Is this too obvious for y'all? Is everybody already doing it? Yeah, a lot of you. A lot of you know. But for the ones that don't know. Paul knew the power of singing to the Lord. You know why? Because it was him and Silas at that midnight hour in the deepest, darkest dungeon with shackles and chains on. They began to sing to the Lord. And the place began to shake. And the shackles came off. And the bars in the prison began to rattle. And the doors came open. And everybody got set free. Even the jailer went home and got saved. Because they sang in their darkest hour. They sang to the Lord. In their time of distress. You sing when you're joyful. You sing when you're sorrowful. You sing when you're down. You sing when you're out. You sing when you're up. You sing all about. And do the hokey pokey if you have to twist yourself about. But sing to the Lord. I'm having a good time today. I don't know about you. It's okay to have a good time in church. That's what it's all about. We're supposed to be the happy people. I know some of you visitors are saying, no, I don't want to go to that church. I want to go to that church where they're. Hello, brother. Be warm and be well, be fed. No. You want to go somewhere that there's life. Because where God is, there's life. He is life. Apart from him, there is no life. Obvious thing number four. Tell about his wonderful deeds. Just tell somebody. You got a testimony? Don't say you ain't got a testimony. You have one. Testimony just means you was putting a test, you had demonies, but you came through. God gave you the victory. 
Things where God has done for you, that's your testimony. That's unique to you. Nobody can take it away from you. And you can tell it and nobody can argue because it happened to you. You got a testimony. Don't say you don't got a testimony. The, the woman at the well talked for Jesus for about five or ten minutes. And she had a testimony. She went and told the whole city, come see a man. She didn't know him but ten minutes. And she had a testimony that got a whole town saved. Amen? What about the, that crazy cat down at the tombs? The, the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed. Jesus got this guy, and the, he said, who are you? And, and the demons, there were so many of them in there, they said, we are legion because we're many. Imagine that voice. Legion. <laughs> or something, you know. And he cast them out into the pigs or whatever and got the man in his right mind. And then it says in Mark 5, 19, the guy has got saved and got clothed and in his right mind and he wanted to go with Jesus. Wouldn't you? But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the, the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region. So he... he, he Jesus said, go to one place. He goes to 10. That's the opposite of the lepers. This guy's so excited, he goes to 10 places of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. And you say, you don't have any credibility. Nobody's going to listen to me. Uh, you know, I'm nobody. Nobody's going to listen to me. How much credibility do you think a crazy dude Runs around naked, howling at the moon, cutting himself, living in the tombs. How much credibility does this guy have? If he can go to ten towns with his testimony and people are amazed, you can share yours at work. Can't you? Some of us have been walking with the Lord for 50 years and ain't opened our mouth yet. <laughs> Not in this church. We don't allow that. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, if somebody asks about your hope oh, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. God will give you opportunities to explain it. But it's your job to be ready. And you'll notice on your sheet there, on the pastor's challenge for this week, this, the pastor's challenge is a thing I put on there so you can put feet to what we learned because it's not just about hearing and gaining knowledge, but it's about doing and living it out. It says, think about what the Lord has done for you and write down the gist of it. You know, think about the high points, how he brought you out of this, or he did this. He gave you this house that time that you didn't deserve, or, or did this miracle for you, delivered you from this oppression, healed your disease. Whatever he's done, write down just the highlights at least, commit, and commit those main things to memory. Start studying your own testimony, and then look for an opportunity this week to share it with somebody. Somebody at the water cooler. I mean, you ain't got to be crazy about it, you know. Just, be, just try to be normal, be led by the Holy Spirit. Man, did I ever tell you about how God delivered me from smoking or God delivered me from drinking? What do you mean? Yeah, man, I was down and out, you know, and God came into my, after I gave my heart to Jesus, man, it, the, the temptation, just, you know, just begin to share. We have to look for opportunities to reach people. They're not going to come up and ask us about how great our God is. We have to do the initiating. We have to take that risk. And it's so worth it. So worth it.
All right. People are looking for the answer, and you know his name. It's on your sheet. Obvious thing number five. We're getting through them pretty quick, right? It says, exult in his holy name. Rejoice. I had to look up what exult actually meant. It says to show feeling or elation or jubilation, especially as a result of success. And so when God is in your life, you're experiencing success, I can guarantee you. At some level, you're experiencing success, so you should have some elation and jubilation. And you know what rejoice means. This is like, it's like refuel. You know, you run out of fuel, you get more fuel. You refuel. Rejoice is like you run out of joy, you rejoice. You rejoy. You joy yourself back up. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you run low, you rejoy. You rejoice because you're becoming a joy junkie. Man, you ought to be a joy junkie. It's better than a junkie that you used to be. I'm telling you, we ought to be, like I said, just full of joy. Joy gets you through the hard time. You can have joy in the midst of your storm. You can have joy in right de- in the depths of the valley when you can't see your way out in the pit. You can have joy. That's what, that's what caused Paul and Silas to begin to sing. The joy of the Lord welled up on the inside of them. If you're dependent on the world's happiness, you're just going to have just a few little spots along the way. And the most of the time, you're going to be up and down like a roller coaster. And that's no way to live. Cultivate the joy of the Lord. And you do that by exulting in his holy name and rejoicing. He says, again, I say rejoice in one place. He says it twice. That means he said it, and you wasn't paying attention. <laughs> he laid it out there, you didn't see it again. And he says, again, I say rejoice. He's making a point. It's important to keep your joy full in these days because we can be brought down with the best of them. As we watch TV and the goings-on of society and see who our two presidential nomination, never mind. <clears throat> but we can have joy, and it'll set us apart. And it'll be the kind of setting apart that you want to have and make your life worth living. Man, some of you going through stuff. I know. This, ain't nobody trying to color over nothing here. I'm not trying to say that life is going to be grand after you do all these things. You're still going to go through tribulations and hard times. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world, and this is the way you do it. This is the way you overcome your situation. Because there's no other name like Jesus. Exult in his holy name. There's power in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all names. So when something spooks you, somebody... The doctor says you may have, or say, okay, well, I know a name that's bigger than that. And he's my God, and if my God before me, what can be against me? Philippians 2.9, he's given him a name above all names. Acts 4.12, God has given Jesus a name. It says that God has given no other name under heaven why, by which we may be saved. He's the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by the name of Jesus. That's how we have access to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Luke 10, 17 says, When the 72 disciples returned, 
They joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That name gives you authority. At the name of Jesus, you have authority. When you feel evil presence coming into your situation, hey, speak the name of Jesus. Just speak the name of Jesus. One of my best songs that I ever wrote is just simply called Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know people, it says, uh, there's a place in the Bible that says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know some people who take that literally. I, I recall a, a, one of the wide receivers for the, the Rams one year had a wreck and his car was tumbling over and over. This is just coming to me. This ain't on my notes. And, and he, he said, I just said, Jesus. And he came out unscathed. And he was making a testimony. He said, all the call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I just said, Jesus. And he saved me in the middle of a car wreck. There's all kind of ways that the name of Jesus can save you. Because there's no other name. Okay, so exalt in his holy name. An obvious thing. Number six, I put two of them together. Search for the Lord and continually seek him. You can search the scriptures. You can search the creation. You can search your own heart. And know this, God is never far from those that are seeking him. Wherever you search, if you're searching for God, you'll find him. But some of us want to search for the, the Holy Grail, or we want to search for the fountain of youth. But why are we searching for the things of the creation when we have access to search for the creator? It's like killing the golden goose to get the eggs out or something. It's, it's just stupid. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. Is your heart into finding the Lord, searching for him? Because, he, you know, he... He will hide himself from those not searching for him. Who was the first person that he revealed himself to after his resurrection? You would think he would have been Peter. You would think it would have been somebody of high importance. It was Mary Magdalene, a young woman whom seven demons had been cast out of. Why did he reveal himself out of all the people in the world? Why did he reveal himself to Mary Magdalene? Because she was seeking him. She got up early in the morning to go embalm his body, to put, put spices on him. She came seeking him. The rest of those knuckleheads were probably still in the bed. But she was seeking him, and she was the first to see our risen Lord. And that's a good principle. You say, well, yeah, but what about those two that were on the road to Emmaus? They were seven miles going the opposite way, and he chased them down. Yeah, he did. He did. But they didn't recognize him until their hearts begin to burn within them. And they invited him in. And then he revealed himself. We've got to keep our hearts burning within us. We can see God in, in our situations. We can hear his voice clearly. We can know his will. So many people say, what is God's will for my life? If I only knew, are you seeking him? He will be found by you, but you've got to do the seeking. How far is God going to have to chase you down? Seven miles? 
How many miles until you turn and seek him back? He's wooing you. He's doing everything he can to say, look for me, search for me. I'll be found by you. Just, just turn and look for me. Obvious thing number seven, to remember. To remember. I want you to imagine for yourself, what if just all of a sudden, like right now, your memory banks were erased. Your hard drive scrubbed right here in the church. You look up and you look over, where am I? Who are these people beside me? Did I drive here? How did I get here? What's my name? What, what am I doing? Everything has been erased, and you're starting over like you're a fresh-born baby or something. Wouldn't it be horrible to have to start all over again with nothing to build upon? See, your life has been a life of accumulating knowledge and and understanding and love and courage and things that make us better, build us line upon line, precept upon precept, glory to glory, so that we can live lives worth living. But you've been scrubbed, and now you're like a scarecrow without a brain. And all the courage that you've collected over those years, you overcame your fear and you did this, and you saw that this wasn't as scary as you thought. And now you're, you're getting bolder and bolder and you're doing all these things from God. Now all that is for naught, leaving you like a cowardly lion. And what about your love? All your relationships, all the love that was given and received, that's made you the special person that you are, now that's just flushed down the drain, leaving you like an old tin man with no oil and no heart. Are you getting where I'm coming from? What Your memory is an important gift that God has given you, and he gave it to you for a reason, to build upon. We remember so we're able to build upon the wisdom, courage, and love that God has invested in us throughout our lives. We should remember, stir ourselves up to remember what God has done, how he chased us to Emmaus and opened our eyes. How he brought us out of the, the slavery in Egypt, the house of bondage. How he delivered us, set our feet on the solid ground, brought you through the storm, saved you in the trial, gave you the miracle that you need when you needed it. When nobody else could come through, he redeemed your life from destruction, gave you hope in a future. Boy, I'm preaching better than y'all are listening. God remembers. He wants us to remember. God remembers the needy. He remembers the downtrodden, the broken, the hopeless, the helpless, the halt, the lame, the blind, the dumb. He remembers you. I didn't mean to look at you, but just because I had gotten to dumb. <clears throat> he remembers you. Isn't that awesome? God knows your name. He remembers his covenant. He remembers all of his people. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? This is God speaking through the prophet. 
He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Sadly, in today's society, yes. That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? He says, even though she may forget, yet I will not forget you. He said, I'm not going to forget you. Behold I, have en- behold, I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. He will not forget you. You were so important. He, he like tied a string around his finger and said, this is Chad. This is... This is Deja. This is Kaylee. This is Megan. This is Charlie. <laughs> See, I forget. God doesn't forget. But I can remember some things. I can remember how good he's been to me. I can remember that his body was broken for me. I can remember that his blood was shed. I can remember that he died on my cross. I can remember that he was resurrected so that I could be resurrected. I remember that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I can remember. Remember gives me courage. I ain't what I used to be. My memory has built to the place where I know I ain't what I used to be, and I remember what I used to be. I remember. It seemed like an old dead me, but I still remember what I used to be. And boy, that right there alone will change the way you see life. Because I remember how God looked past my past at last. And he set me free. God looked past my past. He, he threw it in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. He cast it far as the east is from the west. He gave me a new start. I remember. I remember who I used to be. We should remember. When we remember, we'll do all these automatic things. This obvious seven that we're discussing here today. You remember where God brought you to. You'll do those things. So we was catching fish in the boat, you know. Griswold family Christmas out there. Lights everywhere. Having a good old time. And we heard this growl. Out there in the middle of a lake. What could that be? Listen a little bit. We started listening. And it sounded like a growl of a boat motor. Down at the end of the lake. And pretty soon we began to make out two little lights coming across the water. And the two little lights started getting bigger. And the noise started getting louder. We realized it was a big boat. And it was coming right at us. And it did. And it came right up to us and turned sideways and and about threw us out of the boat. And I fell in the bottom of the boat. And I'm looking up getting ready to fight whoever it was. And I realized it's a game warden. And he's sitting there like with his thumbs in his. Notice your boys didn't have your running lights on. Get a ticket for that. The running lights are two little lights on the boat, you know, that you're supposed to have at nighttime. Well, me and Gary, we pulled down our welding goggles and looked at each other. (laughs) He says, you boys don't want somebody running up on you here out at night. And I'm still surf, you know, <laughs> surfing his waves. 
And I said, well, well, sir, let me ask you a question. How did you catch us? He said, boy, don't nothing get past me. I spotted you two all the way down the other end of the lake. I know you're not like the game warden and that you don't miss the obvious. But just in case you can't see the trees for the forest, I want you to jot down these seven. The 105, Psalm 105, the obvious seven. Don't you forget them. If you jot them down and put them in your memory, and when you, things are going tough and things ain't going the way they're supposed to be, begin to implement them. They're like weapons in the hand of a mighty warrior. These are the things that help you overcome your life. I'm going I'm to read them again. Psalm 105. Maybe this time you'll listen. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders that he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Everything will be all right. In my short existence here on this world, I've learned a few things. I have seen young people, beautiful young people with their whole life ahead of them, and I've seen them hollow-eyed, strong, hopeless, Worn out, broken down, addicted, stuck, in trouble with the law, you name it. I've seen them, the whole life ahead of them, but they can see no farther than the, the ground in front of them because they're trying to do life in their own strength. But I've also been to the nursing home where I spoke with an 85-year-old woman who looked up from her wheelchair with a gleam in her eye, and she said, I don't have anybody that comes visit me. I'm all alone. But she went on to tell me that Jesus is enough. In fact, she said she's never been more happy in her life because she has to rely totally on Jesus. He is enough. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.